today's series, which is, for those of you that haven't been here, the last five weeks we've been doing an Easter series. And um, can you pass my iPad up, please, darling? Thank you. And it started, the very first week it started with um, looking at the person of Judas, and it was all around betrayal. Um, So the first week was betrayed by me. And each week it's brought a different thought for us to consider. The second week was forsaken by me about the fact that Jesus was forsaken by his friends and ultimately by uh, God and that um, in terms of God was still with him, but he was going through stuff um, in our place um, because of our sin. He uh, was forsaken. He was accused in our place so that we wouldn't have to be in that place. He stepped into that, into that place just as a, a, a judge would for a guilty person who would go get up from a seat and go around and move them aside and step into their place as the person accused. Um, Jesus stepped into that place for us. He was punished last week. We looked at the crucifixion and he, he was punished in our place. He took on him the punishment that we should have had and we should have. But he took it. And today is alive in me. Jesus is alive in us. We are here because of a risen God, because Jesus is alive in us. And so we'll watch the clip, and then I'll talk a little and ask some questions for reflection after it. So, Hunter. we celebrate the resurrection. the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Go then quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen. The resurrection is the most important event in all of history. Because Jesus died for our sins and because he rose from the grave, everything changes. If he didn't rise from the dead, then then this is just a nice martyr story about somebody who stood up against injustice. But if Jesus did resurrect, it is so much more than that. Whether the resurrection happened and what it means if it did 
is the most important question you will ever consider in your entire life. First, I want us to look briefly at Matthew's account of the resurrection. It's there in your Bible, Matthew 28, the 20 verses of that chapter. Remember that Matthew was one of the disciples who was there during all of this. So what he writes in Matthew 28, he writes as a first-hand eyewitness testimony. Let me just make a few observations from this chapter. The first thing I want to point out that Matthew tells us, it's in verse 8 of chapter 28, is that the resurrection caused fear, or read that, awe. He caused awe and great joy in the women who first discovered it. I mean, how could it not? The resurrection, if true, should leave us in utter astonishment. It means that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did. He accomplished what he said he accomplished. The Son of God, the creator of the stars and the galaxies and, and you and me, put his feet on earth. He entered into our pain and, and into our shame and into our sin and he took those things upon himself and he died in our place. If true, the resurrection should be a cause of not just awe, it should be a cause of unbounded joy. Because it means that all the promises of Jesus are true. God really does love us. And he really is taking us to a place where there's no more curse or pain or crying. All the, the bad and painful stories that we live through are not permanent and they are not final. God really is working something good through all of them. And soon he's going to take us to a place where he'll wipe away every tear. And in the, in the infamous words of J.R.R. Tolkien, he'll make all the sad things come untrue. Right? So that's the first thing. The second thing Matthew shows us is that the resurrection accounts are reliable. You say, well, how's that? Well, there's an odd little detail that Matthew notes that shows you he's not making this stuff up. He says, he says that the empty tomb was first discovered by women. You say, well, what does that prove? Great question. In those days, women's testimony was not considered credible. It was not even admissible in court. So think about it. If Matthew was just making up the story of the resurrection to try to get people in his generation to, to believe, why would he make women the first eyewitnesses? If he were making stuff up, he'd choose men. Matthew notes that women were the first eyewitnesses because that's what was true. That fact did not help his case, but it was true, so he included it. Furthermore, we know that all of the disciples, including Matthew, died in horrific ways testifying to the fact that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead with their own eyes. I mean, here's what you got to ask yourself. Would they have died for something they knew to be a lie? Sure, lots of people tell lies, but you would only build your life around the lie if you felt like you had something to gain from that lie, right? I mean, people will build their lives on lies if they gain money, for example, or power or prestige through that lie. But what did the apostles gain through their supposed lie? I mean, for their whole lives, they were persecuted, they were poor, they were tortured, they were executed. But to a one, they all went to their grave saying, we saw him. We can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. We saw him with our own eyes. I just ask you to consider, would they have undergone all of that for something they knew to be a lie? Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French philosopher, famously said it this way. I believe witnesses who are willing to have their throats cut. Right? And these 11 apostles, by the way, were not the only ones. New Testament writers pointed to hundreds of people still alive at the time of their writings who could verify the resurrection. They named some of these people that were still alive and said, hey, if you don't believe us, just go ask them. That's not the kind of thing that you would say if you're making something up. So the point is the resurrection, Matthew shows us there, is a historically reliable verification of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus that should cause us awe and great joy.
The question Matthew leaves you with in his gospel from the resurrection is, how are you going to respond to it? Will you dismiss it like the Jewish leaders did? I mean, Matthew tells us in verses 11 and 12 that rather than seeking out the truth, the Jewish religious leaders just paid off the soldiers who had guarded the tomb to keep their mouths shut about what actually happened. You know, honestly, I sometimes wonder how they could have, how they could have done that. Why be so determined to cover up something like that and be willing to willfully close your eyes to evidence? But see, here's the thing I've learned. You can always find reasons to disbelieve what you want to disbelieve. Just like the Jewish leaders, we can close ourselves off to evidence that points the opposite direction of where we think we want to go. So, so many people do this today. In their hearts, they know there's something special about Jesus, but the implications of him being Lord is just not something they want to concede to. They don't want to acknowledge those implications, so they find reasons to disbelieve the Bible. So the question for you and me is, are you going to dismiss the resurrection like the Jewish leaders did? Or are you going to let it move you to worship like the disciples were moved to worship? By the way, choosing this option to let it move you to worship doesn't mean that sometimes you still don't have doubts. I love verse 17 of chapter 28. It might be my favorite verse in this whole account. It says that when the disciples saw Jesus, some worshiped, but others doubted. I mean, think about this for just a minute. Jesus had just resurrected and they've seen him and touched him. And in Matthew 28, Jesus begins his ascension to heaven, and yet some are still watching this doubting. I mean, I want to say doubting, guys. I mean, guys, he's floating in the air. Right now's the time to stop doubting. But see, that, that actually brings me a lot of comfort. Because sometimes, even though I'm convinced of the resurrection, sometimes I still doubt. You see, even though they had lots of good reasons to, to know that Jesus had risen from the dead, there were still questions they didn't know how to answer. And they would say things like, if Jesus really was the Son of God coming down to earth, why was he leaving? Why hadn't he overthrown the Romans? Why hadn't he brought peace on earth? Well, see, I still got some, some pretty tough intellectual questions. If Jesus is who he says he is, why is there still so much evil and suffering in the world? Why are there so many people who still don't believe? Why won't God answer this prayer or that prayer? Sadly, some people stop believing because of those doubts. Essentially, they let their doubts cause them to deny the resurrection. But here's my question. What if, instead of doubting the resurrection, what if you use the resurrection to make you doubt your doubts? What if you said, Jesus, yeah, I don't understand how to explain this right now, but I know, I know that if the resurrection happened, I, I understand that there's an answer somewhere, and one day I'll understand it. One of my favorite definitions of faith is that faith is when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. The undeniable thing is the resurrection. That which is unexplainable or a lot of our questions that remain. You're willing to live with some unanswered questions, not because you just wish it were true, but because you understand that Jesus really was who he said he was, and you know that because he raised from the dead. And you're willing to give Jesus time to lead you through your doubts and teach you the answers. The British pastor, famous British pastor Charles Spurgeon, used to say that doubt is like a foot poise, a foot you pick up. You can go forwards or backwards with that foot. He said, some people pick up that foot and their doubt drives them backwards into unbelief. But he said, it's true that you can never actually take a step forward until you pick up your foot. You see, picking up that foot, asking that question, wrestling with that doubt can be the beginning of a closer and more trusting walk with Jesus. The last challenge that Matthew gives you in this chapter is this. Are you going to embrace the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven? That great commission is to go into all the world and tell everybody the good news about Jesus. Listen, friend, there are still so 
so many who do not know. They have not heard that Jesus has paid the full price for their sins, that he's defeated death for them and, and, and overcome the grave for them. All people everywhere need to hear because Jesus died for everybody. Gospel in, in Greek literally means good news. But it's like the theologian Carl F.H. Henry used to say, the gospel is only good news for someone if it gets to them in time. At the end of Matthew, Jesus tells us that we are responsible, the disciples and, and us who believe, we're responsible to get this message all over the world to those who need to hear it. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls all over the world. He's gonna go with us and he's gonna help us, he says, but, but it's our responsibility. Believer, listen. We have the only message that can save people from sin. The only message that can give them new life, give them a hope beyond the grave. What is that message? We've looked at it now for five sessions. Jesus in my place. Jesus was betrayed by me. He was forsaken for me. He was accused for me, punished for me. And now he wants to be alive in me and work through me. How could we possibly keep that to ourselves? I mean, if you had the cure for cancer, and there were so many people that desperately needed that cure. Could you keep it to yourself? Friend, you understand that what we have in the gospel is 10 billion times more important than even a cure for cancer because it's the hope of eternal life. Let's end this whole study by coming back to this one all-important question that we've asked all throughout the series. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Jesus was betrayed for you. He was abandoned. He was accused, he was punished, and resurrected for you. Will you receive him? Will you let him take control? Will you let him save you? He's done everything necessary to save you. Will you trust him and give your life fully to him? Jesus did not just die for you. He died instead of you. The choice of whether or not to receive that is up to you. Wasn't it great? So good, so challenging. So I've got some things to consider, um, self-reflection stuff. So in light of everything that we've learned so far, who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? Some of you have been working in life groups uh, on the series and some probably will. Uh, going forward and that, but it's a good thing to always come back to and consider, who do I think Jesus is? You know, Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And his disciples gave answers. Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And then Jesus says this crazy thing to them that I constantly ask myself, who do you say I am? But who do you say I am? And we know that uh, Peter said, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, you've answered well. You've done well. Have we come to that point where we realize that, where we know who Jesus is and we realize he is the son of God? Or was he a nice man that a book was written about, some other books were written about, many books have been written about, who said some nice stuff and walked around and lived and died, and that's where it ends? Or do you believe in a saviour that rose again? Who many, many, many people, hundreds and thousands of people witnessed living again? Who many, many, many people have died for as witnesses of the fact that he 
is who he said he was. Second question, in what ways have you been challenged to change the way you think and relate to Jesus in this series? Has anyone here through the series kind of had some fresh thoughts or kind of looked at Jesus a little bit differently? I certainly have, yeah? Good. I certainly have. That first week looking at Judas and the fact, and I had thought it before, but it just kind of ref, it just kind of brought it up for me and, and uh, made me think about it a whole lot was if Judas, Judas had to come afterwards back to Jesus and said, forgive me, I have no doubt that Jesus would have forgiven him. Sadly, Judas didn't. Uh, but it really paints a very forgiving, gracious Jesus, who we can come to regardless of whatever we've done to him. So the, the rub for us is, is it doesn't matter you know, how bad it is, what you've done. You can always come back to Jesus. You can always ask um, for forgiveness and to come back to him. Next one, please. Connor. Hunter. Hunter. In what way does the resurrection proof of God's love for us give you joy and hope for today? How many have found since they found Jesus and the fact that he had he has risen and we actually internalize that, we actually understand that, does it change our lives? How many how many have found that your outlook is different? That you have a joy that you can't put a cap on. You can't put the lead back on it because it's just there. I remember years ago, um, Gina and I, uh, Gina wanted a dress, um, a new dress, and she, Gina being Gina and very creative, had wanted one designed and so found a design in that. And there was a dressmaker we heard of in Palmerston who lived up a valley who we went to see. She was a tailoress, and we went up there, and um, did we find, I can't remember how we found out about her, but she was a friend or a person known to a girl that I I worked with. And the girl, when I realised this, the girl said, she said that you guys had been up there, and she she said he said he knew you, and he was this real happy guy, real happy guy. And she was a witch. But she recognized that there was this guy who had come, Gina and I had both gone to her, um, and she said there was this happy guy. And, and it's not because I'm happy, happy. It's just because of what God has done in my life, I can't put the cat back on the bottle. Because I'm filled with joy, every day I wake up and I'm filled with joy at what God has done. Um, And so a person who some would say is far away from God, really it's no further than us, just one decision away from Jesus, got to see someone filled with the joy of God. And I love the faith definition that he gives. When the unexplainable meets the undeniable. The unexplainable meets the undeniable. And I mean, that's life. We are going to have stuff we can't explain. There's so much stuff in the world I can't explain. I don't 
I can't explain how God works in a whole bunch of different scenarios. I can't explain why I've prayed for people knowing that, that God could heal them, knowing that God could heal them, not hoping that God, knowing that God could heal them. I've seen enough miracles to know that God can heal, and yet they still don't get healed. I watch them die. I don't understand that. And yet I've prayed for others and seen healings. But it's undeniable what can God can do. I just can't explain it at this point in time. What a fantastic, that is faith. Being, being willing to continue walking when we can't explain, but we can't deny either. It's undeniable. Next one, please, Hunter. In what ways has the good news of Jesus' resurrection changed your life? I hope it's changed your life and turned it upside down. How many lives are upside down because of what Jesus has done? If you don't know Jesus, if he hasn't turned your life upside down, not in a bad way, in a good way, because it might be quite messy and turning it upside down might make it more tidy. I don't know how that works, but God has a, has a formula that can do that kind of thing. God can do that in your life. And in what ways is he still changing your life? Is God still at work in your life? Is Jesus still at work in your life today? He's sure, he's sure at work in mine. I'm still messy as, but God is still working. He hasn't finished yet. He's still erasing stuff, bringing colors back into the lines they're meant to be inside of, adding a bit more color here. Okay, Dini, how about you come up and give your testimony? A testimony, a testimony. You want to come on stage? I like this woman. I've grown to love this woman. She's, a, she's an amazing woman. I'm nervous. You're, you're great. You're great. You'll be, you'll be awesome. No. Last Saturday, after watching this DVD about the resurrection, oh, Last Saturday, I was having my breakfast and one of the elderly ladies who lives where I, in my complex had been in hospital, come home and gone back again. And, and so I prayed for her. And I was having my breakfast and I thought, oh, I should go and see this lady called Isabel. And I thought, no, I've got my own agenda today. And I've got things I want to do. Anyway, I felt that scripture and God said to me, obedience is better than sacrifice. So, oh, I went. I got changed and I went. And I said, well, God, I've never spoken to this lady about Jesus, but I have spoken to her. I've chatted with her. I've said good morning to her. I went. She was fast asleep in a chair. And I said, Isabel, hi. Hello, she goes. I said, and we, we chatted, how are you? Oh, and I said, did you know that there's a God? Well, she goes. Um, well, I will, this is her words. Well, I sure as hell wish that he would help me. I don't know what I've done to deserve this. I said, God, Jesus is, God is love and he doesn't punish so, anyway, I shared the gospel and I said, look, 
if you were the only person in the whole earth, Jesus would have sent his son to die for you so that you would have eternal life, which means forever, for all eternity. She looked at me and, and didn't answer, didn't say anything, and then I said, you know, this is the day of salvation. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you serve God or mammon? And, and then I said, and it's a decision that you have to, will have to make. I can't do that for you, but it's a choice. And she said, yes. So, you know, after this is Resurrection Sunday that Jesus died on the cross, that stone, that stony heart, that boulder was removed, you know, from her heart, Mm. from her heart. So she's gone to be with Jesus. Isn't that great? Can I just add, Denny is our newest life group leader, just about to start a life group. Not because of that, just because we think she can and she, and she knows she can. And she's amazing. I'm going off track here, but I don't care. I got a text this morning. It's from uh, Ray Gardner. Ray and Natalie are up north, as you'll find out in this um, text. It's, it says, uh, happy birthday, Dean. Have an awesome, enjoyable day. Don't worry about that. Um, we have not been at church for the last three week, weeks for all, the good, for all good reasons. Missing being there very much. Special family uh, we're there. A special family there where we belong. Still in Whangarei, supporting our brother-in-law who is in the hospice. We raced up here thinking close to leaving us all. He gave his heart to Jesus one week before. God is showing us how he can work miracles and Joe is getting better every day. The family were planning his funeral when we arrived. We thought by now that we would be back home in Upper Hut anyway. Um... Basically, um, isn't that good? Next slide, please, Hunter. And I'll tie that text in in one second. Um, what could you do to share the good news this Easter? That was such an encouragement for me as a pastor because we constantly talk about taking God outside of this building, not keeping God a secret. What can we do this Easter? to share the antidote to people's illness, to people's sickness, to people's condition, to the fact they're lost in darkened situations and don't necessarily have a saviour who can pull them out. Can we share Jesus? What can we do to open a door? Can we, can we do what Jesus did? And that's just love people until they say, what is different about you? Why are you so happy? Why are you so nice to me when I'm not nice back? How can you show love to an unchurched person around you this weekend? Have you got unchurched someone in that situation who's unchurched around you who you can share the love of Christ to? And I'm going to hand back to the band. 
and we, sh- we should do this. We should really, you know, it's called the gospel, the good news, the good news. We have good news that we can take out. And today we celebrate, as we've said, Jesus has risen. So I'm going to hand back to the band and we can celebrate. If anything that we've shared today has stirred anything up that you need prayer with, you want prayer in different areas, the elders are available, Jenna and I are available as always. So from here on in, don't forget, go out. Don't keep God a secret. He doesn't want to be that way. We're not part of a secret club. We're part of the only organisation that exists for its non-members. Yeah. Have a great Easter. See you next week.